You're listening to a Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, Welcome to a very special episode of Savage uh, Lovecast, the low blood sugar episode, where I will attempt to record reasonable, rational advice for callers who've uh, entrusted me with their problems and deepest secrets uh, without actually having eaten anything today. So I'm a little whacked out. So are the tech-savvy at-risk youth who put it in the wrong hole. We were having a hard time recording for a while. We figured out it was in the wrong hole. Um, now that it is in the right hole, uh, we're cooking with gas. Um, but we're not cooking any chow because this is a very special low blood sugar episode of Savage Lovecast. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of spoken word entertainment. Get a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today. Log on to audiblepodcast.com slash savage today for details. Hi, Dan. My girlfriend and I uh, graduated a couple of months ago from university, and we were planning on moving together to a new city where she was going to go to school to work on another degree. Um, the city wasn't really my ideal place to live, but it was you know, totally tolerable, and I was just happy that we would be together in a place that is in the shitty little town I went to university in. Um, I just got off the phone with her, and she told me, that she was just uh, last minute accepted, I guess, to a different school. Um, one that she thinks is much better for her purposes than the other school she was planning to attend. Uh, the thing is, she knows that the school is located in one of the last places on earth I would want to live. And um, I'm going to get to the point that she was half expecting me to dump her on the spot when she told me. We're Canadian. I guess I should point that out. Um, I remember in one of your other podcasts, you told some young guy that he should run off to New York to be with the guy he loved. And that was really great advice, I thought, but this is pretty much as different from New York as it's possible for a major North American urban center to be. Um, it's sort of like the charm spurting leaky asshole of Canada, you know. Uh, their idea of cultures to build the continent's biggest shopping mall, it's basically the launching point for the environmental devastation of the North in this country. And every shithead in the country moves there because it's filled with money, but it's money that no person with any morals wants anything to do with. Uh, plus it's like really fucking cold there in the winter, which is not my thing, despite being Canadian. Breaking up with this girl is not something I want to do at all. Um, so should I just, you know, suck it up and go to this shithole to place for two years while she finishes her degree and do my best not to be like a miserable asshat? Um, if I don't, uh... Assuming we could agree to try some sort of long-distance thing, is it reasonable to expect a long-distance relationship to work for that long? Uh, I kind of expect that it isn't, but maybe you tell me I'm wrong. She's worth someplace tolerable. You will live someplace merely tolerable to be with her because you love her that much. But you're contemplating dumping her because this place is so intolerable that you can't picture living there or you won't go there, even if it means being with her. Now, you sort of had my sympathy until you got to... Uh, the years that you're going to be in this shithole, and I think I know the name of this city, uh, but I'm not going to toss it out there, lest we shred um, the self-esteem of all my listeners in that city. Um, I suspect it's in Alberta someplace, but we're not going to go there. Um, 
It's only two years. It's only 24 fucking months. That may seem like an eternity when you're just out of college, when you're young. Uh, that actually goes by pretty quick. We're not talking med school here. She's not going to be in school for seven or eight years. She's not getting a PhD in anything. Uh, it has a nice, neat – this is a master's degree program or something. It has a nice, neat window. I think you should go. And I think you should look at it as, you know, 24 months on safari among the repulsive natives, you know, 24 months in the Peace Corps, a 24-month-long moonshot. Like, however you need to think of it, where it becomes this adventure where you are allowed to act like, you know, you're suffering a bit. But take a sociologist's view. You know, that's not the word I want. What is the word? I don't know. This is the low blood sugar edition of the Savage Lovecast. You just go be Jane Goodall for a while. Live among the chimps and the chumps and observe and you'll have grist for your mill. You'll, you know, I don't know what you do, but... You know, if you're a writer, if you're a whatever, if you're an artist, being someplace where you loathe and despise everyone uh, for a while can often uh, be very inspiring. And what I would tell her is, you know, a two-year-long distance relationship is probably not something a relationship of only two years duration will survive. But a year-long long-distance relationship perhaps is. So agree to go for the first year or agree to go in the spring, summers and falls and make arrangements to be elsewhere for the worst of the winter and hang out with her and be with her and waka waka waka. And I've lost my train of thought because this is the low blood sugar edition of the Savage Lovecast. Hey, Dan, my name is Chris. I am a 40-year-old heterosexual female. I am calling because... I have had a history of um, infidelity in my relationships, and the gentleman that I am seeing now is someone that I had seen previously um, while I was in a supposed committed relationship, and obviously wasn't because I was not faithful. Um, And we have been together now for a few years, and I have been completely faithful to him. However, I completely understand his reluctance to believe that, Kind of, uh, you know, she's done it before, she'll do it again. And I completely, 100% understand that. But I'm I'm curious, is that something that you, do you think that anyone can ever get past or believe um, that a person is being faithful and, and truly wants to be, I know, I know you don't believe in <laughs> complete monogamy, but um, can you ever get, get past the... Um, lying aspect of of infidelity with someone who you are being 100% honest with. Okay, he has a right, uh, as the person you cheated on uh, your previous partner with, to be a little cagey out of the gate at first. You know, you cheated with me, which I could interpret as you are capable of cheating on me. You know, on the flip side, he cheated with you, so he has participated in an infidelity himself. So he's not some fucking dipped in moonlight, rolled in stardust, innocent here, okay? The problem is that, you know, you may have to be on probation for a while. He has a right to be wary for a while. um, And maybe you should be in relationship purgatory for a while. But after years of good behavior, you need to get out. There needs to be trust. He needs to make that leap of faith. Uh, He should want to make that leap of faith. He should want to trust the person that he's with. Um, And if you've given him no reason to suspect, if you've been honest and open, and he's torturing you about this, it isn't about anything you did. You need to start looking at this for what it is, which is a power play. He wants to constantly, you know, keep you on the spit and make you feel insecure uh, and keep you 
knocked back on your heels, so you're the one who's always sort of in the doghouse. And that's just sadistic assholery that has nothing to do with your previous relationship. We should have a conversation where you point out that you are capable of being monogamous. You've been monogamous to him. The reason perhaps you cheated on the guy you were with before was because he was not the right guy for you. But this guy is, but only if he can drop this fucking bullshit drama that isn't about your capacity to be monogamous because you're being monogamous. It is about him being a controlling, power game playing asshole who is taking advantage of your history to keep you constantly uh, at a disadvantage in this relationship from you know the power perspective. And you shouldn't put up with that enough. Tell him that he can knock it the fuck off, cut you some fucking slack, or get the fuck out. Hey, Dan. This is Jeffrey. I'm 29 years old, gay man. Um, I've actually been having a threesome relationship with my boyfriend of two years, and we've recently brought a third person um, probably a year ago. And, you know, they take turns fucking me because I am the bottom in this relationship. But I've always been wanting to... Um, have them double fuck me, you know, two cocks up at the same time. So now I want to know if this is at any at all safe because I know we have to use a condom and everything, but sometimes I'd rather feel, you know, the skin on skin. So I don't know which is safer. I mean, yeah, we've all been tested negative and we're all safe and we're all monogamous, but uh, any advice would be appreciated, okay? I'm just afraid of you know, something being teared down there or causing myself to get hurt or bleed. Um, anything that you can give me as far as an advice, it would be greatly appreciated. Where do I start? Um, you know, uh, the asshole is a strong muscle, terribly resilient. Uh, you can totally be double-fucked if you take a lot of time. Use a lot of lube. Um, a good <laughs> double fucking uh, is usually preceded by a very long single fucking uh, so that you're nice and banged up and loose. Uh, you want to be careful that as the bottom in a double fucking scenario, you're constantly in control. You can't get two dicks up there and hammer away at yourself because you will get hurt. Uh, you know, when you're single fucking, when there's just one dick up there, um, you know, HIV transmission is wildly efficient through anal sex because uh, a lot of those tissues are very delicate. The blood vessels are very close to the surface. Often people uh, bleed a little bit, um, sometimes on, uh, without anybody noticing. It's imperceptible. Uh, even when it, everything's done right, and it's going really well. Uh, so you get two dicks up there and you're being, you know, not being stretched into a slightly larger uh, circle but being stretched into sort of an oval shape uh there's likely to be more bleeding and potential for damage um so double penetration isn't two guys fucking you and slamming away your ass double penetration is a bottom uh with a couple of tops working two dicks into his ass for a bit uh but certainly it's not two guys hammering away at you now on the condom front you know, you guys have only been in this threesome for a year, as with the previous caller. Uh, we don't always know that the one person we're with who tells us they're being completely faithful is telling us the truth. And, you know, men have lied successfully to their partners in the past, particularly gay men. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily take your boyfriend's, plural, word when they say that they're being completely faithful and you're at no risk. As the bottom in this triad, 
you are assuming the lion's share of the risk for disease transmission and, you know, fatal butt damage in this scenario. So you have to act in your own uh, best interests. And I wouldn't, you know, you're doubling your chances of being you know, one of the guys being a liar and all y'all getting infected doing this. And, you know, you've been together a year. When was the last time you all tested this third person you've brought into your relationship? Are you the only guy? You say you're monogamous. Did you mean just you and your boyfriend? What about your third? Is he monogamous to you guys? And are you sure about your boyfriend? Are they sure about you? You're young. <laughs> uh, I would err on the side of caution uh, generally when it comes to single penetration. But when it comes to double penetration, I think you're doubly well advised to err on the side of caution. Uh, I would be using condoms with your third uh, if I were you. And I would definitely use condoms uh, on both during this double penetration thing. And you know what? Skin to skin is overrated. Uh, You really don't have such great – Nerve endings on your ass that your asshole can totally tell the difference between a sheathed cock and an unsheathed cock. That's kind of a psychological um, turn on, which is, you know, that's important and it's real and it's valid, but it's not worth sacrificing uh, potentially your long term health over. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the leading provider in spoken word entertainment. Audible has over 35,000 titles to choose from that you can download and play back anywhere, just like the Savage Lovecast. Log on to audiblepodcast.com slash savage to get a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today. I just went to see if they had one of my favorite books that I've read three or four times, uh, The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich by William Shirer. Just 1,300 words. It's a fucking doorstop of a book. Um, But they don't have it, uh, unfortunately. They do have, however, The Rise and Fall of Jesse James, The Rise and Fall of the Queen of Suburbia, The Rise and Fall of Alexandria, and uh, A Spy at the Heart of the Third Reich. Uh, Hopefully soon they will pay someone appropriate, perhaps Eric Idle, to record The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. That was the uh, tech-savvy at-risk youth's suggestion for a reader. Uh, But in the meantime, I'll make do with all those other Rise and Fall titles once again go to audiblepodcast.com slash savage for your free audiobook today hi dan love the show i am 23 straight and single um let me get into it here's my problem uh despite the fact that i am otherwise quite content being single um i just started becoming more than just friends with the guy from work uh we just recently revealed to each other that we have a very strong physical and emotional chemistry and uh, subsequently I've spent the last two weekends with him. But yesterday uh, I was just beginning to let my otherwise very strong guard down and was beginning to crack open that door of possibility for a potential relationship when he dropped a huge bomb on me that he has genital herpes. Um, We haven't had sex yet, thank God, and he assures me that he hasn't passed on the disease to any other sexual partner since he's had it, um, which has been for about five or six years. But I'm just confused about where to go from here. I feel like I'm being forced to make a decision about our relationship before we even, or before a decision about our relationship before we even have a relationship. Um, He said he'd give me, you know, time to think about the situation. um, But I feel like I'm not going to be content with any answer I give myself because it's always impossible to see the picture when you're in it. Um, Right now, the way I see it, uh, my options are as follows to cut my losses and move on because remember, I didn't want this relationship anyways, Um, or to keep dating him, you know, see where it goes, be extremely careful during sex if it gets to that point. Um, But 
you know, then if we do start having sex, how am I going to enjoy it? I feel like in the back of my head, I'll always be thinking about contracting this, you know, incurable venereal disease. Um, I'm usually one of those sarcastic assholes that pokes fun at people with STDs, but now that I actually have to face the reality in my life, um, I'm certainly not laughing. So hopefully that's not karma kicking me in. Listen, this is definitely karma coming back to kick you in the ass, and it's deserved. (laughs) Why? You had it coming. Uh, Making fun of other people for their STDs. STDs happen to uh, the best of us sometimes. Yeah, um, I know. I and, uh, you know, you can get an STD the night you lose your virginity uh, at 50. Um, there's nothing necessarily uh, that protects us all against STDs. You know, when he says that he hasn't passed it on to anyone in five years, he really can't know that um, mm-hmm. because a condom isn't necessarily going to protect you. Uh, mm-hmm. A condom will minimize your risk. Mm-hmm. of uh, contracting it or passing it on. But people can be asymptomatic for de- decades or all their life and be successfully exposed to herpes and capable of exposing other people to herpes who then may be symptomatic themselves. Uh, that's the thing about herpes is it's a much bigger deal uh, in our sort of terrorized, abstinence, educationized imaginations than it is in reality. Mm-hmm. A, a huge percentage of the population is exposed to herpes and doesn't know it because they've never had a symptom and never will. Right. So it's sort of, uh, you know, the the not that big a fucking deal STD of STDs. Uh, people uh-huh. should be tested, and there are some tests, though, though they're not totally uh, 100% accurate for herpes. Um, women who are pregnant or giving birth need to be concerned because there's a, a risk of transmission and complications in childbirth. But otherwise, you know, if you're on your guard, it's not a big fucking deal. The good thing is that he told you. Right. A lot of people in his position wouldn't have told you. Mm-hmm. And you could dr- drop him because he did the right thing and was honest. Uh-huh. And then date five guys in a row who know they have herpes or know they have HPV or know they have cooties or know they have bad <laughs> karma and don't tell you for fear that you'll dump them. You know, when we penalize people who do the right thing and, and disclose, we it, that creates a culture where people are encouraged to do the wrong thing and not disclose. Mm-hmm. It fuels the spread of disease, of sexually transmitted infections. Um, right. You know, I've got the stats now. Genital herpes, one out of four adults are yeah. exposed. Oral herpes, eight out of ten. Wow. So you can run from this guy. Uh huh. But unless you can't run from herpes. You can't run for her. You can't run from herpes. And you know <laughs> what? You probably shouldn't, because it's not that big a fucking deal. Okay. So I shouldn't, it's not a deal breaker is what you're saying. I don't think it should be a deal breaker, no. But, you know, we each get to make our own decision. You you have to make the decision you're comfortable with. If you feel like you can't be sexually active with this guy without being completely paranoid the whole time and making him feel terrible the whole time, do him the favor of dumping him. But own it that it's your hang-up, not his uh, chronic infection that's the problem. But before you Uh dump him, read... Get online and read about herpes, and you will read a lot about how not very big a deal it is and how prevalent it is. Right. If herpes right. made all of us, you know, all of our crotches explode, <laughs> no one would ever date anyone with herpes, and, you know, people would be walking down the street, one out of four people, you would get on the bus, and one out of four people would explode. <laughs> it Thank God it's not that bad. <laughs> it really isn't that bad. 
or most people. There are some people who are herpes infection because they have a particularly virulent strain or because they have uh, a particularly compromised immune system. It can be complicated and nasty, but it's for most people. And it's shitty. Right. I think it's shitty when an otherwise decent relationship is scuttled because of an outsized irrational fear of what, in most cases, is going to be a non-problem. Not that you shouldn't be safe, use precautions, uh-huh. minimize your risk, monitor your health, waka, waka, waka. Okay, but just be safe and don't be paranoid about it. And don't be paranoid about it. But you know what you do have a right to do? And, and I might do if I was in your shoes. I might say, you know what? I do like you, and I would be willing, I think, if I was really feeling like I wanted a relationship with you, to, to assume this risk and own it as my own choice and responsibility. But I want to mm-hmm. date a while longer before I make that call. So we need to put right. off being, becoming sexually active until we've okay. dated for three or four more months. And I really feel like, assuming this risk, that you're worth it. Okay. That you have a right to say that. You have a right okay, to say anything you want to. You have a right to say I don't like the color of your nose hairs and I'm out of here. Like, we can dump people for any reason we fucking want to. But that, I think, would be reasonable. Okay, good. That is what I've done, and I'll, I'll stick to that. Okay. Okay, thank you, Dan. I'll have another Milky Way now. You're welcome, and good luck with it. Okay, good luck with your blood sugar. Thanks. Hi, Dan. I am a fairly kinky, submissive woman. I live in a fairly large metropolitan area, and I'm feeling lost at the moment. I was in and out of the scene for about five years, and finally I accepted it, and I was in the scene for about five years. And in this time, I've become incredibly disenchanted with the whole scene. Um, at the risk of obviously overgeneralizing, in my experience, it's dominated by a lot of people who define the real submissive as something that seems to me to be more based on naughty novels, which are great to read, but I'm not going to quit being a lawyer to live in a cage. And then there's just assholes who are using the whole domination submission thing as an excuse for treating me like shit. And then there are married men who seem to have this virgin whore dichotomy of they want some pure woman to have their children and I could be their mistress on the side, which is really not my interest either. And about, but at the same time, vanilla men, they just bore me. I don't seem to know how to work in that area. And about three months ago, I went out with a guy and that uh, public place, blah, 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 all the safe stuff. And he slapped me across the face and he called me a stupid bitch. And it's like I lost my sex drive, like something inside me broke and I can't find it. And I can't go back there anymore. I'm so exhausted. I don't know what to do. I can't find my sex drive. I read some naughty novels and they don't do anything for me. And... I'm feeling kind of hopeless, so I would appreciate any advice you might have either on where I might find my misplaced sex drive or where I might find a man who would actually care about me as a human being and still want to tie me up and have his way with me. Hi, Dan. How are you? I'm okay. How are you? Good. When you left your message, it sounded like you were going to cry and it kind of broke my heart. Oh, I'm sorry. I was having a melodramatic moment. That's good. I think you, I think you had a right to a melodramatic moment. And the tech-savvy at-risk youth who actually have no hearts are very cold. They were touched, too, by your call. Um, listen, uh, when you were with this guy who slapped you and called you a stupid bitch, was that out of the blue? Was that something you'd negotiated before? What sort of... It was pretty out of the blue, and it didn't really affect me that much at the moment. I've had a lot worse things happen, but 
I just haven't been able to bounce back from it. Now, when, you, when you've gone into, like, kink scene uh, social events and, and met people, have you just sort of run a home with people without having sort of long oh God, talks no. No, about no, what no. they were into, what you were into, what you're game for, and what they were game for? No, not at all. I don't really play outside of a relationship. Mm-hmm. And I don't play until I get to know somebody. And in the case of this guy, part of the reason it bothered me so much was he, I had actually been out of town on business for a week, and so I never give my phone number out, but I was staying at a hotel, so I'd given him my hotel number and my room in the hotel, and he called me every night, and it was like this stressful work thing, and we'd really connected on sort of like the friends level, and we just met at a bar. We never went to a private space. I would never do that Mm -hmm. right away. And so where, when did the slap happen? In the bar. In the bar? Yeah, we were at the back of a bar in a corner. And so he thought this was some sort of naughty push-your-buttons foreplay, and it just kind of wasn't what you were up for. I don't know. Um, or he's were, just an asshole and an abuser and is, you know, misogynist. I think he's an asshole, to be honest. I think, no, I don't think he's an asshole. I think that in his non-erotic life, he is a really good person, and I think that what tickles his erotic imagination does not involve taking into account the needs of another human okay, well, being. Don't, don't make excuses for him then, because if what tickles okay. his erotic imagination is not taking into account uh, someone else's pleasure or I consent, then that he's a just lot. a motherfucker, and you need to like rule him out. You need to develop a bit thicker skin. Not that I'm criticizing you or blaming the victim here. Um, how many? How old are you, roughly? Early 40s. And how long have you been like dinking around in the scene? Five years. Five years. You know, if you were 20, you know, four, and at 19 you'd started dating men, you know, you'd come out, uh, you know, as a straight girl and started dating men, you might have had a, like, bumpy time of it. You know, it takes time, whenever you start dating the people you really want to date, to find one who works for you. And there are people who are misogynist and who are assholes and who are unrealistic who use the kink scene as cover. Yeah, a lot. They can package their misogyny up as some sort of consensual sex play. And it really does fall to sub-women, usually working in concert with other sub-women. You know, a lot of what happens in the kink scene is it creates a community of sub-women who are helping each other vet the guys. I'll be honest, I have gotten so burnt out on munches and anything to do with the scene that I don't do them anymore. And then, you know... That's fine. And there may be a dysfunctional community or scene where in, in the city where you're at. Okay. Yeah, I would say that's true. And so you can avoid it. And so that was perhaps general advice for other people who may consider going to munches. Um, I don't want to say, you know, you need to jump back out there before you're ready. Clearly, you need to back up and take a break. Right? Mm-hmm. And if and when you jump back in, I've said this before to, to kinky women, you know, into BDSM, tops and bottoms, um, you are a gem. You are a rarity. There are 400,000 kinky guys for every kinky girl, which means there's a demand and supply problem. And until you negotiate away your power, until you do power transference, where you give it to them, it is yours to give. And you are in the power seat. They have to earn it and win it, and it's only temporary. They only have it as long as you give it to them. And so you need to, with some strength and uh, um, 
sense of self-esteem, really. Negotiate for, you know, you're a lawyer. Negotiate when you're with these guys from a power position and really spell out what you're in what you're up for, what you're not up for, what are deal breakers, past negative experiences you've had, you should be the boss. The problem is, a different issue, is that I intimidate 99.9% of all the men I meet. Mm -hmm. And if I, I've been trying to get that down to like 98% by being <laughs> a little less intimidating. And, and there's just this, this large differential there that I have so much difficulty meeting men that I'm trying to not be this intimidating person that I seem to be in many situations. Mm -hmm. but you, and that's not a kink issue. That's just a dating issue. Right, but I think that you... I would err on the side of intimidating 98.5% of the men I meet because of you know your sexuality and what your turn-ons are. You don't want to encourage the wrong kind of guy to make the wrong kind of assumptions because you were trying not to be too intimidating while you were negotiating you know, your power exchange mm -hmm. with them. Mm -hmm. You know, knowing what we know about the guys in the scene. The bad apples, not the good ones. But, you know, if you've only been exploring this part of your sexuality for five years, you're still learning how to spot the bad ones. No, I... I was online 15 years ago reading, you know, all the groups online. And 10 years ago, I was going to munches and going to meetings and then leaving and then going back and then leaving. It's just full-time for five years. Full-time, like, hardcore, find a top. Yeah. And I lived with a guy I met for a year in the scene. And that didn't work out either? No. I'm sorry. And there's no good. There's no good advice when it comes to you know when when we get to this point because the only advice yeah he was my best sucked. friend that sucked. best friend sucked and the only way you're ever going to prove to yourself that there are guys out there into the things that you're into who don't suck is if you keep risking dating them. There's no and I don't know how to I don't know how to do that without getting a chip on my shoulder and being really bitchy. I mean, I see so many women who've lost in the scene who've like lost their joy, and they're just these incredible chip on their shoulder people. And I've worked so hard to not get that jaded and and bitter, but I don't know how to do it anymore. Well, it's it, listening to what you're saying. And hopefully you'll get this impression, too, when you listen to the show back, if you do. You need to take a break. Yeah. You know, you know, you don't want to get bitter. You, you know, you have the chip on your shoulder. You need to pull back. You need to pull away from the scene. And there are guys out there who are into your kinks who aren't in the scene. And How know, do I find those? You date and disclose and date and disclose and date and disclose. Okay. I'm sorry, but, like, kinky BDSM stuff is not... Shit in your mouth. It's not anything that anybody isn't familiar with anymore, and it's not really a place that even a vanilla guy, for the most part, wouldn't be willing to go. Most vanilla guys wouldn't be willing to go for someone that they love. Okay. You can find love first and negotiate sex and, and, and you know specific kinks second. And this isn't you know I want you to dress up in a dinosaur outfit and throw up on me. And you're Godzilla. This isn't something no one's ever going to have heard of before and react, be staggered by. No, it's just the Anne Rice stuff. It's just the what? Anne Rice stuff. Yeah, the Anne Rice. Yeah, that's like, and it's fantasy, and it's you don't want twenty four seven. You don't want to live in a cage. It's the beginning, middle, yeah. end. And you know, if you've had a bad time with the guys in the scene, date guys out of the scene and disclose. And what's the worst that could happen? They'll dump you. 
I honestly never am attracted to men that are really sweet and nice and ask if they can kiss me on a second date and then ask again on a third date and then ask again on a fourth date. Uh-huh. I can't seem to get but to you can chemistry. Take, you can take one of those guys who's being nice because that's what he was brought up to believe, you know, is the key to success and is what women want. And you can take one of those guys and say, it's so sweet that you asked, you did this, you did that. You know what? Here's what really turns my crank. And can I do that after a month? After a month. Because three months, I can't go with somebody for three months that I'm just bored by. Well, then you have to, I mean, you can either keep going back to the scene and meeting the guys who are clearly a self-selected group of assholes in the scene you're at. <laughs> who aren't working out for you, or you can do the hard work of finding a guy who you like, who's not going to treat you like shit, that you can groom to be the top that you want him to be. It happens, all the, it happens all the time. That makes sense. You know, you've had a problem it a starting with the kink and then not, you know, the person not being a human. Why don't you start with the human and build toward the kink next time and see if you have better luck? Okay, I'll give it a try. Okay, I'm sorry. Thanks, Dan. Thank you very much. Hey, Dan. Uh, my name's Lee. I am a newly out gay man who is 16 years old, living on the belt buckle of the bottle belt in Tennessee, and I am having some serious relationship trouble down here. Okay. Um, people already perceive uh, gay people and black people to be evil down here. And it is really, really hard to get into a relationship with anyone um, just because of that stereotype, if I phrase that correctly, I'm sorry. Um, I guess, like, what I want to know is what are some tips in which I can be more approachable or more open to a relationship? Because normally whenever I meet people... Um, they normally think I'm either arrogant or, yeah, pretty much arrogant. Okay, so you're 16 years old. You're uh, you're a boy, and I, I wouldn't say that to a, a black man, but I would say that to a black 16-year-old. <laughs> you're 16. You're in high school, right? Uh, yes. <laughs> How many of your peers in high school are in quote unquote relationships? Um, Regardless 90%. of, like, 90% <laughs> are yeah. dating. Yes. Okay, but 90% or more of the people in your high school are straight. Oh, uh, yes. So they have a larger pool from which to draw. Mm-hmm. Right? And those, yes. you know, we can call those relationships. We can round them up to relationships. A lot of those are just high school dating, and those people are never going to be, they're not going to be together forever. They're not very serious, right? Yes. You, you know, as a fag are in a very tiny minority, like 3 to 5% of men are gay. So you're going to have to get out of small-town America and get to a bigger place probably before you wind up somewhere where you will have people around, a large enough pool of openly gay peers where you can date successfully or unsuccessfully and have relationships that last, you know, even for an hour or two, right? So Yeah, that's to- totally what I was thinking because... I mean, of course, you know, in Tennessee, most likely, you're not going to find that many out gay guys around here. Most of the out gay guys in Tennessee get the fuck out of Tennessee. Yeah. And you will, too. 
So the, the the trick for you now is not to go, oh, woe is me, I'm 16 years old and openly gay and stuck in Tennessee and my life is going to be like this forever and I can't have a relationship and walk, walk, walk. The trick for you now is to say to yourself, it's, I am openly gay, 16 years old, isolated here in buttfuck butt Egypt, wherever you are, and how do I get the fuck out of here? The energy that your peers are pouring into their bullshit relationships in high school, you need to be pouring into your plan to get the fuck out. Where are you going to college? Um, still haven't decided, and it's kind of odd because I graduate in December because that's the same idea I had was to get out of here as soon as possible. And You're halfway there. Yeah. you got to pick a college in a big a big state school with 50,000 people in it, in, a, in the middle of the cornfields, or a college in a very liberal but large city. Don't go to like a liberal arts college with 1,400 kids in it in the woods somewhere a million miles from any big city, because then you're going to have the same problem all over again and the same frustrations, because there'll be like eight other gay kids there. But if you go to a big state school with 50,000 gay kids, or 50,000 kids, there'll be thousands of gay guys. Perfect. So your plan is not, Dan, how do I, you know, your question is not, Dan, how do I find a relationship here, 16 years old, in buttfuck Egypt? Your question is, or should be, how do I get the hell out of here? <laughs> I mean, most, most definitely, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, I totally understand, because I know it's basically kind of given that ultimatum, because I'm the, type of, I'm the type of person who can adapt anywhere and just have fun anywhere, and, you know, although it's fun down here and everything, you know, the fact that I'm not going to get, get anybody or get with anyone down here, I mean, it's like, hey, I just got to leave and, you know, pack up my stuff and go. Do your family live there on purpose? Um, no, they've been here their whole lives. Oh, well. One of the bad things about being gay is that we often feel rejected and as if we have to leave our small hometowns or you know get away from our families to really be who we are. And one of the great things about being gay is we often feel rejected and we have to leave our small towns. And we tend to then therefore have more interesting lives because our sexuality really compelled us to get the fuck out. Mm-hmm. You know, and go to a New York City and go to a Chicago and go to a San Francisco and go to a Seattle and even go to like a Kansas City or go to an Atlanta, um, a place that's big and vibrant where we end up having more satisfying, more interesting lives than our peers who didn't feel pressured to leave and so stayed in buttfuck Egypt shithole, Bill. Yeah. So you can look at this period of isolation in your life when you're 16 years old and gay and there's no other gay kids around and your friends are all dating and you're alone as you know the price you have to pay for the benefit of one day being far, far from that place or being so motivated to get the fuck away from that place. And it's worth it. It really is worth it. Oh, thank you so much for giving me that insight because... I know I was looking I was I was looking at that and seeing that as a, that as an option and everything and I totally see it as what I what I need to do because for me to have to be happy because you know down here I'm pretty sure I'm not going to be happy for you know by the time I turn 18 and I'm right. able to be on my own so You know and there's no guarantee you'll be happy at college or happy the rest of your life you have to work at creating a life for yourself that makes you happy and, you know, once you're out and gay and even in a big place, a lot of gay people, that's no guarantee that you're not going to meet shitty people or have shitty, you know, unfortunate experiences or occasional lousy boyfriend. You're ultimately responsible for your own happiness. Um, and no mm-hmm. one's going to hand it to you. But you won't find it there, so you know you've got to go elsewhere to get to have any chance of finding it. And the arrogance thing, I don't know why you're perceived that way. 
Um, you don't sound arrogant to me. You sound perfectly charming. As oh, thank you. As Joe Biden might say, you sound articulate. Well, yeah, that's probably the one reason why I'm so weird down here, because <laughs> most of the black people here are just like, thug, 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 and I'm just like, oh. <laughs> Get out. Get out. Get out. That should be a mantra. Like, every time you're home alone masturbating while your friends are fucking at the drive-in or whatever people do out there in the countryside, I don't know. Um, every time you're home alone beaten off, just say, you know, every load I blow alone is going to move me another foot closer to a much better life than these kids yeah. getting off in the cars <laughs> at the drive-in are going to have here. <laughs> and that was my low blood sugar analogy. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Good well, luck. Well, sorry. I'm having an emergency chocolate. That sounds disgusting, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. That concludes this installment, this low blood sugar installment of the Savage Lovecast. If any of my advice today was subpar, please blame the text heavy at receives for not letting me have lunch before we do the show. www.thestranger.com slash savage is the spot where you download us every week. If you want to record a question for a future podcast, 206-201-2720 is the number. Please leave a callback number in case we want to call you back. Duh. And uh, try to keep your question under a minute or two. And we leave you, as always with the fine intro-outro music of the popovers, and you can learn more about them at www.myspace.com slash thepopovers. Um, hope everyone's having a lovely summer. I'm going to go have a lovely lunch. <laughs>